We're going to continue in our message series that we've called Enough, as we've been in the book of Colossians. Been in here for five weeks already, week six today, and I'm excited to talk today about rules. Rules. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and following. Now, every organization, every family, every society, every group, every community has rules and needs rules. You can't live without them. You need structure. Without the rule of law, you'd be in constant danger. You'd, you'd be in self-protection mode. You need rules to kind of get through life, right? Rules are good. They improve our life, but rules can also create problems for us. I, I don't know if you grew up with any church rules. Anybody grew up with rules in church? I've got a photograph here. You know, um, if you just Google Mennonites, did you know this is what comes up? If you, in case you didn't know, this is what's called a Mennonite Brethren Church. It's a denomination that's across predominantly in uh, Western states, but uh, across the U.S. and Canada and around the world. I, my wife does not look like that, I'll tell you right now. Um, but they have certain rules that they live by. They must maintain those rules. I, I don't know about you, but, you know, there's sometimes people say rules about what you should wear to church or elsewhere, uh, rules about, you know, whether to drink coffee or where to drink coffee. Or are you allowed to drink it in your seat right now or not to drink it? You know, how do you sit? How do you behave? I grew up with the rules of no movies. We're not allowed to go to see movies. That was forbidden. No dancing either. Although you find ways to get these things done without the parents... This is, I'm sure they knew. They just acted like they didn't know. Right? I had the earliest curfew of all my friends. I mean, I had lots of rules growing up in my life. And rules can create legalists. And legalists will break a rule to keep a rule. Did you know that? Where, where we were uh, working before, there was... In the hockey arena, every year, the, the one of... Um, uh, I can I can say who they were. They were Jehovah's Witness, and they they would rent the hockey arena to do kind of their annual big regional gathering. And uh, they have a rule about not drinking caffeine or soda or something like that. And so they had asked the organizers, and I knew this because we also rented that arena. They had asked the organizers to to remove all the vending machines because they didn't want their people to be tempted with sodas and caffeinated drinks and so on. And they said, "No, we're not going to do that." So they went around. Our, our friends, and they, they put up out-of-order signs on all the vending machines. They lied to keep a rule. Think about the irony of that. You're going to break one of the big ten so you can keep people from drinking caffeine. Legalism will do that to you. You bend over backwards trying to keep one rule and break a bunch of others in the, in the process. There are now, they're always in place for good intentions, and they're meant for good reasons. You know, there was some old rules about how you had to dress up for church. You had to dress really nice for church. And that was meant as an act of deference to God, an act of worship, an act of respect. It, it showed your, your care. You want to bring God your best. I get it. I think that's a good that's a good rationale. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But what can just as easily happen, that that dressing nice suddenly becomes... All about the outward appearance. Then suddenly we judge someone. Are they ready? Are they appropriate for worship or not? Based on how they, how they're dressed. And so what's happening in the heart is less important than what's happening on the outside. Do you see how the, the problem of something that was good suddenly becomes completely inverted? Religion will do that to us. So to be clear, rules themselves are not bad, but when they're used to manipulate or to control or to judge rather than to care for people and protect them, um, rules are 
actually destructive. They become destructive. And the Apostle Paul addresses this. The Colossians were falling under the influence uh, uh, and, and manipulation, really, of false teachers. And they were promoting a kind of a religious zeal that, that threatened to undo the work of God's saving grace for them. And Paul was concerned about that, and he wrote to them. And if you've got your Bible, uh, or if you're on your smartphone, or if you use a church Bible, we're in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. I invite you to find that with me. Colossians is is a letter um, deep into the New Testament. And um, we do make Bibles available at the Connection Center every Sunday. If you don't have one, you're welcome to do that or download the app. Or I can, if you want to buy a Bible, I can help you with some guidance on how to buy a good Bible. Why don't we stand together as we read God's Word, Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 16. The Apostle Paul has, has talked already about us being in Christ, and here's what he says. Verse 16, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. Verse 17, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. Verse 19, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. Verse 20. You've died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. Verse 23. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. I've got a lot I want to get through today, so um, hang on. We'll, we'll, we're going to go. So you might be wondering, well, why do we even need to talk about this? I mean, does this matter? Like, do we still struggle with rules and regulations in church? And is legalism potentially an issue? I, I would say it is because... Even in our own hearts, we struggle with the extremes of the rules problem. So on one end, you go like, you know, you have, you have a moment, you're kind of a moment with God in worship or in prayer and, and maybe a compelling message. You say, okay, that's it. I am going to push this over a little bit here. I'm going to, I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to work real hard. I'm going to read my devotions. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do all this religion. I'm just, I'm really going to do good. Jesus, I'm really going to try hard and I'm going to do good. Well, you try hard, and wouldn't you know it, day two, you're like, man, I blew it already, right? Okay, I'm just going to buckle down. I'm going to read every day, and you got your R&R journal, and then day, day three, you do good, and day four, you manage, day five, you miss, and day six and seven and eight and nine, you, you're like, oh, forget it. I can't do this. So that's one extreme. We're going to try really hard. You know, put rules on yourself. Then you say, forget it doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't really make a difference anyway. So I'll just do my own thing. I'll ignore it. It doesn't matter. Because I tried this. I read the Bible for two days and I didn't experience a deep inner transformation. There must be something wrong. So I'll just do what I want over here. Do you understand that that happens in our own heart? We don't talk about it in such extreme ways. But that's kind of in a larger way illustrates what happens. And, and those extremes create frustrated, uh, exhausted, miserable, unfulfilled Christians. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you recognize that yo-yo in your own life, right? There's got to be a better way. Rules for religion is not the answer. But removing all rules and guidelines isn't the answer either. 
Three principles I want us to notice in this uh, short passage. If you're taking notes, you can write these things down. First, that Paul wants you to be all about Jesus. Verse 17 says, For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. I would say this. Another, another way to say it is that pursue relationship over rules. Pursue relationship over rules. It's all about purpose, right? It, for example, if I said, okay, you, you must spend 30 minutes a day reading your Bible, writing in your journal, and, and praying. You must do that every, every day. Well, you could do that, but what's the purpose of that? What's the goal of that for you? If you obeyed that rule, but you didn't understand that it's, it's about knowing Jesus personally, or, or if you had no desire even to spend time with the Lord, it would just be meaningless. Um, it, it would be about knowing Jesus. You, you, you'd be like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. Well, if you don't know why you're doing it, if you don't have a purpose to do that or a meaning for that, you'd be just like, it, it, honestly, it would not it'd be interesting to you. It, it would be boring. You might even dread that 30 minutes, but you could do it. You could keep the rule. But what if you understood, hey, what's a way that I could spend time with the Lord? What's a way I could deepen my relationship with Jesus? Oh, how about if I just spend a little time reading my Bible, writing in my journal, a little bit of time praying? You understand the difference? Some rules, uh, th- this is what Paul is addressing here in Colossians, some rules are unnecessary. They're potentially harmful. He talks about you know, what we just read there. Part of their heresy was was this false teaching that said your soul, what's inside you is good, but your body is bad. Therefore, uh, you know, you, you ought to deprive your body of enjoyment. You ought to kind of punish your body. You shouldn't have like pleasure or entertainment. Just be harsh to your own body. Asceticism is kind of the fancy word for that. And, and Paul, this is why Paul, the Apostle Paul, reminded them, you know, Jesus, keep in mind, Jesus came as God in a physical body. The body is good. God made your body. God made you with, with taste buds and, and nerve endings in all the right places and the ability to see color and hear beautiful music. Isn't that amazing? God didn't have to do any of that, but he did because he wants you to enjoy all that he's made for you. Thank you. Right? Sam understands that. Like nothing like a, a nice tri-tip with a roast potatoes on the side and lemon meringue pie for dessert. All right? anybody's got that on the menu tonight, let me know. Right. <laughs> Paul says rules to punish the body to somehow make you more spiritual are nonsense. It doesn't work. Now, in my upbringing, the religious rules were not about punishing the body or, or depriving us of pleasure. They were just meant to keep us from becoming worldly. That was the, that was the notion. And so we were trying to stay separate from all those kind of bad influences. And that was a noble goal. I think those were not unwise in the sense of uh, of the reason for them. But the moment we pursue keeping the rules instead of the purpose of the rules, which is a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with other people, we fall into legalism. And legalism will kill you. It destroys. Relationship over rules. All right. Um, Let's let's move on. The next principle in this passage is that of our connection to Christ Jesus, uh, who is the head of the body, the church. And we would say it this way, that you always want to move toward connection. Always move toward connection. We use that word connection around here a lot, and it's intentional because I want you to be connected to God and connected to one another. Every part of my body, 
by a series of nerves and ligaments and mysterious things that I know nothing about. Some of you do understand these things. Every part of my body is what? Connected to my head, connected to the brain. My brain tells the body what to do or responds in a, in a, in a dangerous situation or whatever or express and it's all happening at once because it's all connected to the head. Every part of the body has to stay connected. My hand can't say, you know what? I've been with you for 50 years. I'm kind of ready to launch out on my own. That's absurd. right? That would not work. And so when it comes to managing religious behavior and regulations, we have to ask ourselves, is this rule or this action helping me? Is what I'm doing helping me and helping others to move to greater connection to Jesus, the head of the body, or is it moving toward greater distance? This rule or regulation I'm going to enforce, is it helping people draw closer to Jesus, or is it going to drive further apart? This this habit, behavior, hobby, uh, ministry, whatever, is it helping people get closer to Jesus, or is it driving us further apart? we we got to think in those terms. Because I don't want to be faithful in my spiritual life because God demands it of me. He actually doesn't. God is an inviter, not a demander. And I don't want to be faithful in my spiritual life because I'm afraid of punishment. God's already punished our sins in Christ. I want to be faithful in my spiritual life because I want to know God and I want to be known by Him. And I want to grow at these things, at, at prayer and at worship. Why? Not because it's a duty, but because it, it's fulfilling and it's meaningful and it's rewarding and it, may, it lets me be a, a, an impact in a good way for other people. You know, if you think about it in terms of, of my marriage, I'm married to Becky and, I, you know, I come home every every night and I come home to Becky, not because it's the rule she said, you have to come home to me. Although we did kind of make that rule on July 10th, 1992. We did. We made that rule, right? But I don't do that because, well, I have to, right? It's because I want to know her more. I want to be connected with her. I want to have a, a fulfilled relationship together with her. We love one another, and that's why we do that. So in a way that... In a way, rules are easy because you don't really have to think about it. Just check the box. What am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? Right? But they're clunky. They can get in the way of really loving people. And so maybe when you're thinking about, you know, your behavior or guidelines or rules or just what you always do, you, you can kind of discern it through a few simple questions. You can say, hey, is this helpful? Is this helpful? I, I'm, I, um, helping one of our, our church plants in Colorado. I was reading through some documentation that they have for their uh, interns for the summer. And, and uh, this kind of long list of expectations. One of them was dress code. And it says, we do not have a dress code. So please, for the love of all things that are holy, don't make us enact one. <laughs> I, that's a wise way to look at it. Look, if you're going to be all crazy... We're going to have to put some rules in place. So don't don't act in ways that make me put rules in place. Do you understand what's happening there? So so when you think about rules and so on, is it helpful? Is it wise? Is it loving? Right? You can ask, is it legal? Is, that, is another one? In any behavior I have, is, what are the guidelines to make this okay or not? Will it help me and the people around me get more connected to Jesus Christ? Those are the those are the ways we want to discern these things. Now, that's what I'm asking. Are the things you're doing developing stronger stronger connection to Jesus and His body, the church, or they risk severing connection? 
I kind of want to move to one more point, and, and to talk about that, I want to just make a comment here about sin and about our connection to Jesus. As we've talked about this morning, Jesus paid for every sin. He's forgiven it all. You cannot out-sin the grace of God. That's the amazing thing. Jesus died to set you free. But here's the thing. I find when I do sin, there's a growing distance. And it's not because God is pushing me away. It's because I'm pulling away. I'm being like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, who when they had sinned, what did they do? They hid from God. They were they were ashamed of what they had done. And they wanted to hide from God. It's like the kid who... who uh, any of you ever break the neighbor's window with a baseball when you were a kid? And what did you do, Randy? Yep. You run away. Instinct. Even if you know better. Even if you know you're not going to just... Uh, I'm still that way. I, I could tell you some stories. As an adult, let me... Run! Let's get out of here! Right? We... And so the invitation from Jesus, however, is to run, but in the toward him, not away from him. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Hebrews 4.16. I love quoting this verse for you or sharing this verse together. We should read this together on screen. Ready? One, two, three, go. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. This is amazing to me. When do you need grace and mercy most when you've messed up, when you've sinned, when you've blown it, when you said, did, thought, whatever you shouldn't have done. And that's when God says, yeah, that's the moment to come close. Really? Isn't that the moment to go sort out your junk and then come back when you're ready? It wouldn't, wouldn't you think, like, I mean, just think about the parent who says, I want you to go up to your room and think about what you've done. It's the opposite of what God does. God doesn't say, go up to your room, think about it. God says, get out of your room, come and, come and sit with me. Let's, let's work this out. Let's reason this out together. Experience my mercy. Experience my grace. That's a good God. That's a good Father as we, as we like to sing around here. Amazing. Amazing. So, third principle. Use your freedom for freedom. You think, Brian, that doesn't even make sense. Well, that's not even a sentence. Use your freedom for freedom. Well, I, what we're talking about here is using your freedom in Christ to live free for Christ. Look at verse 20 with me. Paul says, you've died with Christ. He has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are your human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. We do want to conquer those evil desires. I'm in no way advocating a kind of a rampant, you know, unlimited approach to sin, but those rules aren't going to do it for you. I'm going to give you three words as we unpack this a little bit because we don't want to sacrifice our freedom in Christ to be in bondage. Three words. Law, license, and liberty. Law, license, and liberty. Law says, here's what you must do. Here's how you must behave. You know, whether or not you feel like it, that's what you got to do. In the Old Testament, that's how it was. Lots of current Christian groups do that. Uh, Law would say, you know, don't get drunk. Don't sleep around. Don't cheat. 
might even say, don't drink caffeine, don't wear shorts, whatever kind of rules they have, because that's bad and makes you a bad person. That's how law works. That's how the rules work. But law becomes an impossible burden. Even if you could keep all the law, you'd still be unhappy. I've never met a happy legalist. They they're, tend to be kind of miserable, and they make other people miserable. Okay, law is not life-giving because it's a standard of perfection that that can only make you aware of your sin and your imperfection. If anything, the law makes me want to sin. It stirs up rebelliousness in me. I don't know about you, but I cannot walk past a wet paint sign without checking to see if it's actually wet. Usually, now this sign didn't say do not touch. Usually it says wet paint, do not touch. I am sorry, I cannot. It's like irresistible to me. I just have to know. Is it really? I, I, the, the law makes me want to break the law. Am I the only one? No, there's lots of shaking. Thank you, right? So the opposite of law then, okay, so we say, okay, law's not going to work. We still need the law. Don't get me wrong. We need it to demonstrate our need for salvation. But we think, okay, law's not working. So the opposite of law then is life without restrictions. We call this license. License says, hey, do whatever you like without regard to the law, without regard to how it affects you or anybody else. Christians living in license would say, hey, God will forgive me. So he'll forgive my sin. I forgive my behavior. So I'll just do what I like. It doesn't matter. I can get drunk. I can sleep around. I can cheat. God will forgive me. It doesn't matter. That's license. The problem with living in license is that it's destructive. It destroys. It destroys your witness for Christ. It destroys relationships. It it destroys bodies. It destroys your future plans. It destroys finances, families, churches, other people. It's destructive. For example, right now, Fresno, I don't know if you knew about this, but Fresno is reporting alarming rates of STD, sexually transmitted diseases, right? Literally destroying bodies because of careless lives of license saying we can do whatever we want license leaves people empty and broken to be honest so law is all about the do's and don'ts license says hey do what you want but there's a third and better option and that's liberty christian liberty liberty is freedom liberty includes self-control and restraint But it also includes generosity and thankfulness because it's driven by a love for God and a love for other people. With liberty, you have an eye on what's good not to do, right? You're not so much worried about what's not required, you know, what is and isn't required. You're not even worried too much about what you're allowed to do. Your love for God and your love for people makes you want to do what is best. Now, it might even look like the rules. It might even look like the rules. For example, our church does actually have a dress code for the stage. And one of the things is we, we say, you know, don't wear shorts on the stage. Now, where I used to be, I would I preached in shorts because it was hot and it was summertime. I like that. Now, I willingly put myself under that because I don't want to distract you with my handsome legs. <laughs> I know that would be a, a problem, right? So, you know, you know like we, we do what's best for everybody. That's our goal. Not because it's a law required or not required. Law, as I said, is easy. You always know where the boundaries are. License is pretty easy because you don't have to give any consideration of what others think. You just do what feels good to you. Liberty, even though it's freedom, is actually the hardest one. Because you've got to think. You, you, you choose to do what's best for yourself and for other people. 
And Paul was applying this principle specifically to, to these onerous religious rules of asceticism. They were restricting what was acceptable to eat or to drink or, or which Jewish festivals and holy days to keep. But he understood that even the strictest discipline cannot change your heart. Your heart can only change for the better when you willingly choose to restrict and limit your own freedoms, your own license, and submit your heart to Jesus. So liberty says, do what's best. Do what's best for you, what's best for others, what's best for the kingdom of God. Do what's best so that you and other people can grow in your relationship with Christ. All right. Let's just take a minute to maybe just take a couple examples to apply this to everyday living. Law, license, or liberty, which is it going to be? What about just life in your neighborhood? Okay, so I had a a neighbor down the road, um, good Christian guy, and um, we all, in our section of our street, just so happens we all mow our own lawns. It's just, that's the kind of neighborhood we're in. And uh, there's a little section, it's called the park strip, right by the street and sidewalk, where it it overlaps. About this much of it, about four square feet, belonged to one neighbor. And Andrew had the kind of remaining maybe ten square feet. And Andrew would always mow just to the imaginary line on the grass and leave the remaining four square feet for the neighbor to mow. Now, I always thought that was very interesting that by law, that's as much as he was really required to mow. And that's fine. He was keeping the law. There's no problem with that. Right? By license, there is actually no... I don't know if there's a law about mowing your lawn. Is there a law about mowing your lawn? I don't know. If it is, it's not enforced. At least not in my neighborhood. And uh, by license, he wouldn't have had to mow at all. But what would Liberty have said? Just mow the extra four square feet. Be a blessing to your neighbor. Do what's best for other people. Help your witness as a Christian. Right? What, what about... Um, what about church attendance, right? The law says you must not miss church. You must be here every Sunday no matter what. Well, Liberty says, hey, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. It doesn't really matter if I go or not. I can I can do church online. I can listen to a podcast. It doesn't really matter. Okay, both of those are right. The, the law does say that. You know, unwritten law, but you know what I mean. Our expectation, our rule. Liberty says, yeah, that's true. You can do whatever you like. License, thank you. What would Liberty say? Liberty would say, I'm going to do what's best for my own spiritual life. I'm going to do what's best for others. And it's really great when I'm there. Even the days when I don't feel like being there and I don't really like it and they sing songs that I don't really care for, it's still good that I'm there. It's the right thing for my relationship with God, my relationship with other people, and for their relationship with God. You're a blessing when you're here. We miss you when you're not here. Now, that's not a guilt trip. That's an invitation to say, let's walk in the liberty that says, I'll... I'll you know, put aside some of my own freedoms so that I can be a blessing to the body. Well, I kept you longer than I meant to already. And uh, there's other areas. You could talk about alcohol. You, some of you are going to have conversations with your grandkids about marijuana. What's okay? When, so it's legal. Can you do that? How are we gonna, you know, there's going to be a lot of these important conversations. And the thing to keep pressing into is, where's liberty? What's the best thing for my relationship with God and with other people? What's the best way that's going to help me grow and help other people grow? How how am I going to most meaningfully be a blessing? Are you thinking about this? It's easy to fall back into law. It's easy to fall back into law. When when I was in a youth group, led a youth group many years ago, you know what the kids always wanted to know? In the boy-girl relationships, they wanted to know, how far can we go? 
Where's the line? Let me get as close to the line as possible. And, and what's the rule here? And I would, you know, say, well, what would be best for your relationship with Jesus? What would be your best for, for the, for your friend's relationship with Jesus? Rather than living by the law, why don't we live with liberty that says, let's do what love would say to do? Right? Friends, let's not be afraid to test and question the assumptions about the rules we've built around our lives, even church rules, religious rules, family rules. Let's, let's be okay with breaking some of those fences down. That's, that's really okay. Let's ask questions like, is this helpful? Is this wise? Is this loving? Is this going to benefit us in our relationship with Jesus and with others? Pursue relationship over rules. Keep moving toward connection with God and with other people. And use your freedom to live free. All right, let's pray. God, we're so grateful for uh, this opportunity to, to gather today. And I just thank you for these, this, these words from Paul that you've preserved for us. Lord, we, we're, in, we're in awe of... God, if you had just kept the law, you wouldn't have sent Jesus. You didn't need to do that. You weren't required. But you did out of your great and gracious and generous love for us, you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. And Lord, we want to, we want to live in the same way with a graciousness and a generosity and a love for other people. And so Lord, just help us over just more and more break down the barriers that we put up because it looks good and it, it maintains order. Lord, let us break those things apart so that we can just pursue a connected relationship with you. Church, as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you may be someone here today, you don't know Jesus personally, and you're just saying, that idea of liberty appeals to me. This idea of forgiveness of my sin and freedom, I want that. If that's you today, I don't normally do this, but if you would just, you can just raise your hand right now and I'll pray with you after the service. Yes, I want that. I want to know Jesus personally. And for the rest of us, I just want us this week to be grappling with in my interactions, in the things that I've held dear, the, the guidelines and boundaries and rules that I've kept, what's really helpful to myself and to others in our relationship with Jesus? God, we love you. We thank you for this time together. Give you our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.